from a healthcare perspective, you need the healthcare lens because if you're not looking at it from the the angle of what is what makes for a healthy human, then there is no such thing as overtreatment. Yeah. Welcome to the Aesthetics Mastery Show. I'm Dr. Tim Pierce. Hi, I'm Miranda Pierce. And today we're talking about overtreatment, a very important topic that runs a lot deeper than I think many people think. We're going to go into some detail about what causes overtreatment and why it's so important that you learn to handle your patients in a way that prevents this and how that's actually going to help you stand out in the crowd of aesthetic practitioners as more valuable than the rest. So why is overtreatment so important? So before we dive in, don't forget to like this video if you have faith that you're going to learn something from us today. And it'll also make sure that you see our next video when you log in, or at least more likely to see it thanks to the YouTube algorithm. So let's dive in. Um, it's very important because of how deep it runs in terms of the ethos of medical aesthetics. So uh, I've been thinking about this, and obviously in various countries, in particular in the UK, we have no regulation. And this really causes us to be introspective about what is our role and what is our responsibility in, in medical aesthetics and how are we going to differentiate ourselves from the crowd in an unregulated market. And a lot of this really boils down to what it is that makes a healthcare practitioner different. And um, that's a very important question. And it's not just that we might be better at handling complications, which of course should be the case because those are actually healthcare. Um, but there's also an ethos that we are actually obliged to follow that I don't think enough people talk about. And I, and I think this is all links to overtreatment. There's a different approach that we are obligated as healthcare practitioners to take. And actually, it's an approach that I'm proud to take. It's not something that is a burden. It's something that actually makes me feel proud of how I operate and why it is probably different to many other ways that people exchange goods and services in a, in a country. There's a different ethos behind healthcare, which really should be in every single thing that we do in medical aesthetics. And overtreatment really points a light at that particular issue in a different way. So that's why I think it's so important that we understand it. So what's the definition of overtreatment? Because it strikes me it might be subjective. Well, that's a really good, really good way to start because, of course, overtreatment is subjective in some ways. But this, the, the important thing, if you really understand it, is to get to an objective definition of it. Because subjectively, you can say, well, I don't like that result. And we've all had many people pass those kind of comments on videos or treatments that are, are maybe even not even related to a treated area. So, I, you know, I like the shape of someone's nose. I don't like someone's cheek. That is not overtreatment. The, the key to understand is um, from a healthcare perspective, you need the healthcare lens because if you're not looking at it from the, the angle of what is what makes for a healthy human then there is no such thing as overtreatment. Yeah. It's whatever anyone wants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this this is why it's so important that you, there is you cannot draw a boundary if your only means of deciding what is the correct treatment is that someone wants it. Mm -hmm. So if someone orders it and they have it and they're happy with it, that that's not overtreatment. So this is where it's so important is that we we have to particularly on the healthcare side understand that the only I believe the only objective description of a good treatment is one that improves the psychosocial health of the patient so what this means is the patient is happier and more confident most people understand that component but the social health is where it gets complicated because we are actually responsible for how people respond to the treatments that we give our patients now that doesn't mean that the people who are judging our patients are necessarily right or wrong, but we have to take that into account in terms of how we design a treatment because um, it's so important how people interact. And this is what we've got to get to, that underneath this idea of 
of how um, people respond to them is this this idea that how you appear is actually a function of your health. And the reason it's a function of your health is because it's about communication. And communication it underpins so many of the of the of so much of the power that you can access from society. It's the first thing people see, and whether we like it or not, they treat you accordingly. And it's also enables you to feel on the front foot when you are confronting the chaos of of other people basically so our clients need to feel confident and and they also need to be received well and we are trying to weigh up all sorts of factors to try and balance these forces to make sure that when our patients go back into the world they are feeling their best but also being responded to well so that they maximize their chances of extracting the most amount of value from society and adding the most amount of value. We have to collaborate and interact with people in a healthy way. Shouldn't the patient be able to decide for themselves where the line of overtreatment is? For example, if I want to go to my hairdresser and have really majorly pink hair, is that not my prerogative? Well, that's a, that's a really good question as well and it does run into many of these debates basically make that same point which is surely the person themselves gets to decide what's good for them and um that this is, is true up to a point and it, it basically boils down to what i've already said around our us taking responsibility for how other people respond to our patients so um actually one of my one of my patients when I was talking about this issue actually said it to me in a very stark way which is we were talking some of these extreme kind of lip treatments or um, jawline treatments that are really obviously false you know overdone treatments and and his what he said to me was you wouldn't do it to a dog and it really stopped me in my tracks because I thought you know it's quite a stark thing to say and what he was what he meant was if you're entirely responsible for how you know, in this case, a dog is received by the pack. You, we understand that if you transform a dog in such a way that the pack no longer see them as one of one of theirs, that there will be a price to pay for that. So we take what he's essentially saying is we have to be responsible for the perception of others because that's a function of health in terms of how they integrate into society, mm. and 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 that's the same the same point again, which is we 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 may be wrong. Like, and I would take it as far as saying. There are patients who ask for things that I would say, I, I feel uncertain that that is actually going to be good for you. I might be wrong. I'm willing to hold up my hands and say, look, I'm not an expert on every facet of your life and I'm not an expert on all your friends, but it is so far off the piece for what is within the normal range that my degree of confidence has gone so low that I can't take the risk. It's not actually disagreeing with them. I'm just saying I don't, I can't, I don't have enough evidence to back that treatment. So that's an attempt at being not, not being paternalistic while still giving guidance mm. and still drawing a boundary because you're respectfully saying, I don't know everything, but I know enough to know that I'm, I'm unsure about going forward. And I find that patients don't mind that kind of uh, rejection of treatment. They, they appreciate it once you've explained it to them. I think that's really, really valuable. And I know that a lot of clinicians watching here will struggle, particularly with lips, because that happens almost every day. You know, can I have another meal? Well, no, because you're going to look you're going to look done, but it's a hard message, isn't it, without offending someone? Yeah, so it is. It's a very hard message, and it, and it comes down to realising that we're balancing two forces. You know, we're balancing what the patient wants and what they think they will, how they think they will feel, which they may be right about, but also how other people will, will respond to that. So, you know, the, at the extreme end of this is body modification. So if you imagine those people who like to have really extreme tattoos and have all their hair shaved off and, you know, big three-dimensional shapes put underneath their skin, 
it's I've nothing personally against them doing that, but there is no way on earth that me as a doctor could carry out any of those procedures because I I feel so uncertain that it's going it's going to be good for them, and you only need to look at some of these uh, extreme body modifications to realize that that clearly creates a feeling in other people, and that feeling is not I'd love to collaborate with you, and as much as we might want to be kind, there's still a, an uncertainty that is created in other people's mind when you differ so far from uh, from whatever average is or normal. And and I'm not saying there's right and wrong in that. I just, I'm just saying as a clinician, you can't play that game. It's too uncertain. We, we're obliged, number one, to, to put our patient's needs first. We, it's that whole first do no harm. And what that means is I have to take into account things that you don't take into account as the individual because the individual doesn't always weigh things up in the same way. We have an obligation to take into account more factors than they may necessarily want to take into account themselves. How is appearance actually related to health? So it's important to understand from a, well, the definition of health, if you look at the World Health Organization, is that health is a state of complete physical, mental and social well-being and not merely the absence of disease or infirmity. So that's really important because nowhere in there does it say having a really killer jawline. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But... But that is essentially what people are after. If you think about it through the lens of healthcare, is they're looking for social well-being. They're looking to um, psychological and social well-being. They want to feel a certain way, and they w- would like people to respond to them positively if they're in a good psychological space. So it's our job to m- help guide them to achieve that outcome. So um, now the reason that it's important, also from a health perspective, is it it, it directly affects your ability to engage with society depending on how you look. So if you're um, if you're unable to communicate properly because you lack confidence, for example, that's an impact on health. And likewise, if there's something on your face that's a distraction to other people, so that instead of you talking to them and them listening, they're thinking about the blemish on your nose or you're thinking about the blemish on your nose, those are both barriers to health. Uh, and there's also the the actual physical movements and the, that you're actually conveying what you mean to convey. So you're not looking cross when you're not feeling cross. Um, this is essentially what it's all about is people, although they don't ask for it in this way, they are looking to communicate usually for the, when they're healthy, a positive aura almost. And they're hoping that people will respond to them positively. And that's the underlying instinct that links to health. And obviously, no one comes in asking for it in that way. But we are we're, we are supposed to be scientists. You know, if you're a healthcare professional, you need to come up with objective descriptions of why people are behaving and asking for certain things. And it isn't because it looks pretty. Like we have to get beyond that. Otherwise, you you get lost when it gets complicated. So can you give us an example of how treatment would improve communication? Uh, well, actually, one of the first clients I ever had was uh, 92. And I remember thinking when I met her, there's no way I can make her look younger. It's beyond my capabilities to take five years off her. Um, so what am I possibly going to do? And she really jolted me into thinking about this issue more clearly because when I got into the history of why she wanted the treatment, in fact, all she wanted was to soften her frown lines, um, then it suddenly made it clear to me what this was all about because her reason for presenting was that she didn't want to um, to look grumpy on the bus because she wanted to be able to engage with people. So she wanted to soften her frown lines so that she looked more approachable, so that she could connect with other humans. And that is actually fundamentally what most people are doing in some way or another. They're trying to get themselves in a position where they can better connect with other humans when they are healthy requests. And it's our responsibility that the treatments we make are a good bet that that's actually going to happen. So can you give us an example of where that hasn't happened and we've over-treated? 
Well, there was quite a famous example in the UK recently of Molly May, and Molly May's come out and and admitted this herself. In fact, the quote that I saw that made me very sad was, I wish I'd listened to my mum. So she had enough treatment that she was putting a video out on one of her blogs and everyone, no one listened to what she was saying on her blog. They just saw the over-treatment. And that's what I mean about it being a, a broken communication because instead of her being able to transmit herself confidently at the world and for them to receive her message, instead we're all looking at her face going, what the hell has she done to her face? So that's, that's what I mean about the communication, how it causes this jolt. The reason that case made me sad is because she said, I wish I'd listened to my mum. And I thought, wouldn't it be great if it was the aesthetic practitioner that was giving that guidance and you didn't have to get it from your mum? Because that's really what a professional system would be, is that each person who presents gets the guidance, the quality guidance of a clinician who actually wants them to communicate better in their life and isn't just selling treatments in sections and, you know, Kim K packages and whatever else they're called, um, which tend to lead people into, unfortunately, there's at least a higher risk of overtreatment. I'm not saying everyone who sells a package is overtreating their patients, but it's, it's a different game, isn't it, to selling guidance about how to improve your communication. It's an interesting case as well, because when Molly May, who is a reality TV star, for anyone who doesn't know, when she first had her jawline done in this way that she's now saying she looked like a square, you actually spoke about it on our clinic's social media and it went mini viral I think because most people agreed but also because people said that you were body shaming her because you're talking about her specifically but actually you were talking about this issue weren't you and then it's you subsequently been proved to be right because she now had it all dissolved and agrees with you basically yeah I mean the, the debate comes often comes in the form of each to their own yeah. Which I actually was, I was looking at quotes. If you Google each to their own, one of the things that I found, which is funny, which is a translation is, you're wrong, but whatever. <laughs> um, so the each to their own is actually comes from a good place, which is, which is that you want people to be free to express themselves. And, you know, I feel that way about tattoos. If you want to have a tattoo on your face of a lizard and you think that's perfect for you, then I'm not going to judge that decision. The, the problem is, as a healthcare practitioner, we have an obligation to be making a bet that this is going to make our patients healthier. And that's where there is an issue. I don't think that you as a healthcare professional can, can follow the each to your own mentality, like, because you risk doing what happened to Molly May, which was probably not a pleasant experience for her to, to feel that reaction not being positive to her trying to communicate something positive and getting all that negativity and criticism back. Um, that's not something that that would have been certainly what she intended to happen. And someone really should take responsibility for that instead of saying, well, she asked for it and she wanted it. Really, the ideal situation is that patients are guided to give them to get them things that are worth having, essentially. So if we're signed up to this medical model where we don't want to overtreat them, how can we help protect them? Well, um, one of my sayings that I coined a long time ago is skills, not mills. Like we should not be selling mills of filler. We should be selling skills of the practitioner. Um, and actually, I was talking to Dr. Harris about this. Uh, hopefully, we're going to talk about this issue again after our conference on it. But that we um, there's something in it for practitioners to take this route. I, I sometimes worry that when you send the message out that, you know, you shouldn't overtreat your patients, that it sounds like you're being reined in and being restricted from, you know, building your practice and doing all these treatments that people want. And actually, there's a huge benefit in becoming the kind of 
clinician who's seen to give quality advice, not just provide treatments. Because then you're an expert and people are buying your expertise. And it's way better to be selling your expertise than it is to be selling packages. Mm -hmm. Because basically, packages are commodities and you can buy them anywhere. All you do is hashtag jawline and go to that clinic. Whereas if you if you find someone that you trust who's going to give you quality advice, even if it is to not have any treatment at all, that is actually a better way to build your practice. So there's something in it for the people who follow us to to go down this route of signing up to not over-treating patients, to taking a more um, guide guidance-type um, approach with your patients rather than fulfilling the contract of them asking for something. Um, and that's that's the most important thing. So first of all, it's the ethos of your practice. It starts with you selling guidance, not meals of filler. Um, and from there, everything gets easier because then you get patients who come and ask you for guidance instead of for meals of filler. And you talk less about price, which mm. I know bugs a lot of practitioners if all they want to know is the price. Um, because they know instinctively know that they are more than their price. They are, they're willing to work hard for people and give them, you know, shape treatments individually around them. But they still have these conversations where it sounds like everyone's getting the same thing if they've got 99 pounds or whatever it is, which they aren't. So um, that's number one. The, the second thing after you've thought about the, the, the essentially the game you're playing with your patients, what's, what's the, the method that you operate with your patients is to know the pitfalls. So pitfalls of overtreatment are that you, you simply may not, um, well, firstly, you may not have yet picked up all the signs of overtreatment. So you do need to study them. I think looking at overtreated faces is a good way to understand. You know, I often think with jawlines, if you're standing on one side of the bed and injecting, you can create a beautifully straight jawline and a beautiful chin. And then it's when they turn their head, like what happened with Molly May, then you see it from the front and they're, they're jutting out. So you've created definition, but then you've got the proportion wrong. So these are things you have to learn, hopefully through other people's mistakes instead of your own mistakes. So um, get to know the signs of overtreatment. Every single injection that you do has the capability to overtreat. And what would that look like? What's the downside? So one of them, for example, if you're doing a jawline and you project down, you decrease the heart-shaped face. Uh, heart shape of the face so you can create that straight jawline but it's hanging low so they no longer look as feminine um chins for example you often see this little bump where they've created definition of the chin which looks good from the side but from the front they have a, a little dip in their chin um you have cheeks that are overdefined. you have temples that are look hollow next to full cheeks obviously you have lips that maybe the angle of the lip is too lateral that happened to Molly May. Um, you have lips that are too projected or they start to let, look triangular from the side or they, they start to look um, separated from the cheek and you get little lines at the side. So you, you need to start to gather all the different ways that each injection that you have, if you do too much of it, could start to cause an aesthetic complication, I sometimes think of them as. And once you've understood each injection and what it looks like from three dimensions then you'll naturally start to gravitate towards away from doing that. And I know practitioners who do this, who've got it, because you see them looking at their patients mm. in different angles. It's not just inject, inject, inject. They stop and they're, they're rotating and you see, them, they see them move the head. And this is someone who's really sculpting in three dimensions. You're not just delivering injections according to the treatment plan. Uh, and that's a much better way to avoid these aesthetic complications. What about creep? Because I think it's quite easy to just add a little bit more, a little bit more, and you've gone over the line without even knowing. Yeah, that's definitely a dimension to consider. Um, I often use the analogy of children. And I know I noticed years ago that my children, you know, I didn't really think they were growing up that fast. But when their grandparents see them, if they haven't seen them for four months, especially over lockdown, there's a real sense of, wow, they're growing up fast. Uh, and obviously, if you're with someone each day and you see them each day, you don't really notice the differences over time. So it, 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 there's definitely that that 
dimension with dermal filler in particular. Um, and so the first thing is just to be open and honest with your patients that this is a thing and also to start to educate them that it doesn't disappear every six months. Now, I've actually, I've actually been with professional trainers, higher people in this industry who believe that filler runs out every six to nine months. And I always knew that wasn't the case. Oh, well, I tell you what, I knew within a couple of years because I started to see it. And some people immediately think their patient is cheating on them and seeing someone else. And I, I've never liked that approach of, of assuming your patient is, is de devious in some way. I assume they tell the truth. And it wasn't the story I was getting back from them. And that's when I started to figure out that this, this stuff is lasting a lot longer in some people, maybe not in everyone, than what it says on the packet. And it's not always exactly where I placed it. They, they can diffuse. I think different products do, do do that differently. Now, thanks to Dr. Master, and he's published this work now, um, he's proven that up to six, I think up to nine years, some of the cases, there's still filler that you can see from previous treatments. So this is this is a very long time. And if you're repeatedly trying to create definition and then it's diffusing and then you repeat that process, you're going to create over-treatment just by not being aware of that that creep of products that don't disappear at the same rate for each patient. So, um, and in some people, it almost doesn't disappear at all. So we've, we've got to build that into the education we give our patients, but we've also got to build it into our own, uh, our own judgment-making decisions. So you, we need to look at old photographs and also look at the patient each time and never get into a beauty regime. You know, it's like, oh, every six months I have my cheeks done and every six months I have my lips done. Um, that That's something that you you might plan for it but the game should be that you have an assessment each time so that you at least have that discussion so are you a fan of dissolving and starting again well that might be the right thing to do in certain circumstances um i have picked up on a there's a trend of people dissolving and then re redoing every six months so um the downside with that is i think we are going to see more allergies to hyaluron days if we're repeatedly exposing patients to that um, much more likely to be allergic to hyaluron days than dermal filler and if you if you keep exposing them there is a risk there but in between would be a selective dissolving of certain areas i think that the key criteria is that there's a problem with the area that you're dissolving so if it's diffused and you've lost definition that's a reason to dissolve because if you want to wait for it which is another option but unfortunately i think probably in most people who've got this the waiting game might be a year or two years so it's probably not worth waiting in most cases so a little bit more appropriate dissolving used with discretion might be more more uh, a better way forward what else can we do to avoid over treatment um try and get as much data as you can before each treatment so particularly patients who've been treated in lots of different places you it would be useful to probably the best thing you can get is a photograph before they had any treatment because that will often highlight uh, some of the risks for, for over-treatment. Um, but also patients, some people, for better or worse, go to different clinics and they get different products. And this all cre creates a much harder job for the clinician to pass to make a good decision about whether they're overtreated or not. So um, a little bit of effort with a new patient to get a photograph, for example, might be helpful. At least get, most people, thankfully, carry around all their photographs on their phone. So get a picture from before um, and maybe if, if they'll give you permission, store it. And then you can use that as a baseline. Um, so that's probably the most useful thing is to find a baseline somewhere. Now, people change a lot over, over the years. They, they put on weight, they lose weight. So it's not always that easy, but that's one thing that might help. Um, you also might want to consider the that different products have different impacts. So some products will diffuse more and some don't last as long and some last longer. Um, so that might be uh, something else to consider. Um, I think it's also important for clinicians to be in touch with their internal motivations. So um, 
this is certainly true for all of us. We have deadlines, we have appointments, we have timings, and, and occasionally um, resisting treating will take you longer because you have to explain. You, you have to. So I'd like people to get in touch with the benefits of them. Every time I've refused treatment or delayed treatment, the patient has been grateful and they, they build trust. And you will get that back from your patients if you always take the route of giving them the, be the best advice possible. And like I said earlier on, to be known for giving great advice is way better than to be known for your prices. Um, in fact, it makes your prices a lot less relevant. So if you'd like to learn more about this really important topic, I am actually presenting at an Overfilled Faces conference. Uh, got some very interesting speakers in it. This is a much more important topic than I think most people realize. So I hope you'll join me there. Um, there'll be a link in the bio. And if you enjoyed the show and you got something from it, then please do drop us a like below so we know we get that feedback and hit subscribe as well and hit the bell to make sure that you get notifications when we next go live. Thanks for watching. Take care.